Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. I hope the sun is shining where you are. We definitely could use some sunshine after the weather we've had over the last couple of weeks. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. What to do next when your cotton gets wiped out by hail? That's a dilemma some Texas Panhandle farmers are facing. I'm James Hunt and I'll bring you that story on Texas Ag Today. Use of land and its location are two factors to determine whether to buy land or not in the rural areas of Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. James Duncan in Marshall. Even for East Texas, the weather we're having is unusual. Corn is two inches in some areas, six inches in others. Produce took a hit of the storms we had recently. Farmers markets are really slow as they're trying to open up. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. With grain prices sharply higher this year, we're seeing a lot of wheat taken all the way to harvest. Jessica Domel has more. Higher corn and soybean prices have pushed up prices for wheat this year, giving Texas wheat growers more options when it comes to their crop. Darby Kamsey, Director of Communications and Producer Relations for the Texas Wheat Producers Board and Association, says higher prices may mean more farmers cut their wheat for grain instead of grazing it this year. Starting really in January, February of this year, that was an option that producers were looking at, was cutting for the use of feedlots. There's been a lot of factors. I think at the time what was happening was there was a potential forage deficit, and so demand for forage silage was going up in late January, early February. And now with corn prices the way that they are, there's not only a feed demand here in the U.S., but exports of wheat for feed have also increased. And so those prices are there to support farmers who are considering that as an option. The price of wheat has risen from around four and a half dollars a bushel last year to more than six dollars a bushel this year. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Although the rain has delayed planting in some areas of Texas, we're still making very good progress statewide. The corn crop just about done. 93% of the corn now in the ground, according to Monday's Crop Progress and Condition Report. Cotton reaching the halfway point. 40% of the Texas cotton crop now planted. Sorghum is on the downhill slide as well. 75% of the sorghum crop reported planted. And 21% of the Texas peanut crop now in the ground. 
While the rain has been a welcome development in the Texas panhandle, those storms did their share of damage to newly planted cotton. James Hunt has the story from Amarillo. As we talked about in yesterday's report, recent hail events have caused significant injury to newly planted cotton in various parts of the Texas panhandle. And Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell says farmers who have already lost that crop don't necessarily have any easy options in terms of what to do next. As we look at cotton planting in the panhandle, we're approaching our last planting date for insurance purposes, but also really our last opportunity to get in a viable crop that is going to make a good yield. We have a very narrow cotton planting window in the Texas Panhandle. And so if a producer loses an early planted cotton crop, there's often not enough time to replant a second crop and really make the yield they're hoping to that's going to be an economical yield. So at that point, they have to reassess what are other cropping options. Sorghum is a likely alternative as a replacement crop, but Dr. Bell says farmers need to be sure that the herbicide they put in their field for cotton won't harm whatever they plant next. Now, with all this rain we've had lately, you have to wonder what's the rest of the growing season going to be like. National Weather Service meteorologist Lance Gehring tells me We've come out of La Nina and entered a more neutral phase, but our long-term outlook is a bit on the inconclusive side. There really isn't any signal out there to hang our hats on as far as saying that, yeah, it's going to be wetter than normal or drier than normal from here on out. It does look like it will be wet through at least for more than a weekend, but outside of that, uh, June, July, August, it's really tough to say whether it's going to be wet or dry. So we'll just have to wait and see. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. When buying rural land in Texas, remember the real estate rule. Location, location, location. Tom Nicoletti has more. My guest again today is Tyler Jacobs, broker partner with Hall & Hall LLP. We pick up our conversation on factors influencing when it is the right time to purchase rural land. On our last program, we focused on values. Tyler, let's look at a couple other uh, bullet points when it comes to uh, deciding whether or not to uh, purchase rural land, and that is utility and how people might want to use that land. Absolutely. You know, there's so much to go into that conversation, and this is a lot of what I do in the field every day is make sure that buyers are understanding the property that they're looking at and making sure that it's going to fit their use. One of the most obvious examples is floodplain. If I'm looking for good, fertile land to graze cattle in, floodplain can be an asset. Whereas if I'm looking for a piece of property to build a house on, floodplain is a detriment. And so how you're going to use it, even in the most basic senses, is one of the first things that should be looked at. If I want to farm cotton, I don't need to be looking at timberland in East Texas. And so there's just real basic understandings of how I'm going to use this land. Am I going to be an absentee owner or is this something that I'm going to actively be involved in on a day-to-day basis? Is it a highest and best use purchase, maybe something that will be developed down the road, or is this something that I plan to hand to my grandkids? And tied into utility would be location in the state of Texas. And they are just 
absolutely linked. You know, the first and obvious criteria there is a lot of times you only have one opportunity to buy the property next to you. And in rural Texas, a lot of the transactions are exactly that. The neighbor or neighbors have an opportunity to buy adjacent land and it may even become slightly competitive. And and at some point, you have to evaluate the opportunity cost of I may never get a chance to buy this land again that adjoins what I already own, what I already ranch, what I already farm. So am I willing to pay maybe more than I would otherwise for a location somewhere else? Number one rule of real estate, as you've heard so many times, Tom, location, location, location. There are properties that are inherently worth more to the entire market because of where they're located, or maybe worth less to the entire market because of where they're located. From College Station, that is Tyler Jacobs with Holland Hall, LLP. This is Texas News and Views. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. East Texas agriculture is struggling with the spring weather. James Duncan reports from Marshall. Gardening around East Texas is all over the map due to the weather pattern that we are in right now, from the freezing storms, now the rain and the high winds that have beaten back many of our crops. Traveling northeast Texas in the corn country, we have corn anywhere from two inches high to six inches. For the area in the river bottoms, the sandy land is just not producing at all right now, and our forage production is way behind Cattle are keeping up with it grazing, and the hay production is just practically zero in our area. The oak trees took a great hit during the freeze, and this is a concern for many producers, but do not give up on them yet. Don't go out and cut them down. Give them another week or two, maybe a month. They'll come back on us, according to what our Texas A&M forestry personnel are telling us. Just take it easy on your oak trees right now. They went into a great shock in that freeze. Many reasons for that. We can talk about them when we have more time, but we in East Texas are just trying to pull through the weather that we're having right now. This is James Duncan reporting from Marshall for Texas Ag Today. Memorial Day weekend is approaching, and Texas law enforcement officials say they'll be out on local waterways ensuring that everyone is boating safely. What do you need to have on your boat? I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And if you're having a dog with foot issues, they may have a certain disease. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. 
If you have a dog that's having some foot issues, there may be a disease that's causing those problems. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd explains. One disease that can cause dogs' toenails to simply fall off is onychodystrophy. Onychodystrophy is an immune-mediated disease that causes the claws to fall off as it attacks the base of the nail at the nail bed, and over the course of just a few weeks to months can cause all the nails to slough off. The nails will grow back, but are usually misshapen, soft and brittle, discolored and weak, and will usually slough off again. The nails can also become infected with a fungal or bacterial infection and may require antibiotics or antifungals for treatment. Most owners don't examine their dog's nails this closely, and so a lot of times we determine there is a problem when a client comes in once a week or so with a dog with a broken nail. This makes us think there may be something else going on to cause all of these broken nails, and a careful exam reveals these abnormal nails. An accurate diagnosis requires removing the nail at the last joint and sending it to the lab, but this is rarely required for diagnosis. Treatment of the condition requires treating the nails every two weeks and administering high doses of omega-3 fatty acids daily. Although you may have used fatty acids on your dog before or have seen them on the shelf at the pet store, just any fatty acid supplement will not be effective. So check with your vet about the correct fatty acid and dosage to use to treat this condition. Vitamin E supplementation and a lot of omega-3 fatty acid supplements also contain vitamin E. It may require several months for you to see a response, and sometimes immunosuppressive medications required to achieve a response. Onychodystrophy is a difficult condition to treat, so if your dog is losing nails routinely or have abnormal nails, contact your veterinarian. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Memorial Day is approaching, and Texas law enforcement will be out on the local waterways. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. If you plan on fishing from a boat or a personal watercraft this summer, take the time to ensure that you have the proper safety equipment first. It is National Safe Boating Week, so now is the perfect time to check. All boats and personal watercraft in Texas must have enough operational and appropriately sized life jackets for every person on board. All children under the age of 13 must wear a life vest while the personal watercraft or boat is underway. Boaters must also have a throwable flotation device, fire extinguisher, and a horn or whistle. A kill switch is also required to shut off the engine if you fall overboard. Boaters are encouraged to take boater education before heading out on the water. The course is required for anyone born on or after September 1, 1993, who operates a vessel over 15 horsepower, a windblown vessel over 14 feet, and all personal watercraft. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department says they'll be looking for these things this summer as they patrol the state's waterways to ensure the safety of all Texans on the water. They'll also be on the lookout for boaters who may have had too much to drink. Operating a boat or personal watercraft over the legal limit can lead to a ticket, fines, the loss of a license, and an increased risk of accidents or death. Boating accidents were at a 30-year high last year. Fatalities on waterways were at 45% from 2019. 
Injuries were up by 64%. The May to August timeframe typically has the highest number of on-the-water injuries and fatalities statewide. Additional tips on boating safely are available on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website. Click on the tab that says Boating and then Safety. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. The corn market bounced back after that big drop Tuesday. However, that pressured cattle prices. We'll take a look back at all of Wednesday's closing livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market closed lower on Wednesday, feeling some pressure from a bounce back in the corn market. We closed lower in both live and feeder cattle. June live cattle down 27, 116.45. August down 77, 119.32. October live cattle down 45 cents, 124.07. May feeder cattle down 12, 136.50. August feeders down $1.47, 155.20. The September down 82 cents at 157.10. Cash fed cattle market saw some sales out in the country at 119 to 120 this week on a live basis. That's steady to higher compared to last week. We also had the online fed cattle exchange selling on Wednesday. However, those cattle brought lower money. 1,419 head of Texas cattle sold on the exchange, but they only brought 116 to 117. Boxed beef prices were mixed Wednesday. Choice down 46 cents, 329.46. Select up 204, 206.30. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear Hop Sings Bell, it's time to grab a bite to eat from our kitchen table and talk to Kenny Mingus from Milam County at Livestock Auction, Cameron, Texas. They sell them up there every Friday. Kenny, how was this last Friday sale? We had 656 cattle, about 125 cows. I had some really good calves and had a really good market. All right, with the steers under 300, 155 to 190. Three to 400 pound steers, 138 to 180. Four to 500 pound steers, 131 to 182 and a half. And over 590 to 179. On the heifers under 300, 141 to 180. Three to 400 pound heifers, 131 to 165. Uh, four to 500 pound heifers, 110 to 155. And over 580 to $1.41. Uh, Packer cows about uh, added just a little money from 40 to 73 and a half. 
Packer Bull 70 to 99. Had just a sprinkling of some really fancy replacement uh, bred heifers. Uh, ran from 450 to 1625, and the cow calf pairs brought from 550 to 1625. We will have a sale this Friday. We've actually got a consigner that's going to send us about 50 cows. I looked at the cows Saturday. There's some good set of little gentle cows that work for anybody's herd. Uh, about 30 calves on them. We'll age them all and palpate them all. Uh, been running back with a black Angus bull. They got to make a call to another consigner that may have about 20 pairs, and then got a guy going to send us 90 cows. That'd just be some palpated cows. Mm-hmm. And uh, those cows have a little age on them, but sure might work for somebody to go back home with also. Can you tell everybody how to contact you? You bet. We'll be at the office uh, Monday through Wednesday from about 9 to 3 at 254-697-6697. Kenny, thank you a bunch. We'll talk to you later in the week. Yes, sir. Thank you, and have a good week. Neighbor, 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 I do believe that's all the time we've got for Walking the Pins, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Me, I'm Larry Marble. I've been your host. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where June lean hogs were up two cents to finish the day at 115.27. July hogs down a dollar ten, one sixteen forty. Class three milk was higher. May milk up two cents, eighteen ninety-eight a hundredweight. June milk up twenty-nine at eighteen dollars even. The cotton market traded both sides of the market. We were higher at one point, lower at another. We ended up closing mixed. The weather seems to be the big issue in the market right now. Traders seem to be happy with the weather we're getting here in Texas. Seems to be improving somewhat. However, when you look at the southeast, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, those areas of the country, hot and dry, making it tough to get the cotton crop in the ground right there. We ended up closing with July cotton down 27 points, 82.44. October down 1, 83.66. December cotton up 14 points, 83.23 cents. The wheat market closed lower, both hard and soft wheat moving slightly lower. We've seen a string of lower closes. We hit a six-year high of 7.41 earlier this month. However, we've seen prices drop more than $1.40 a bushel. Just here in the last two to three weeks, we closed with July Kansas City wheat down five and three quarters, five ninety eight and three quarters. July Chicago wheat down eight cents, six forty eight and a half. The corn market saw that massive drop on Tuesday. On Wednesday, however, we bounced back a bit. We closed with July corn up four and a quarter, six twenty four and a half. September corn up six cents. 547 and a quarter. In the energy markets, June natural gas up a nickel, 296. July crude oil up 11, 6618 a barrel. The financial markets slightly higher. The Dow up 10 points, 34,323. The Nasdaq up 80, 13,738. The SP 500 up 7, 4,195. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin. See you next time, right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.